Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down, Fumi Saito. <laughs> hey, hello from Burbank, California. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Write that down. On the Fight Game Media Network, my name is Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com. Staff writer, WrestlingObserver.com. Also work for Pro Wrestling Noah Cyber Fight Inc. And I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author and broadcast journalist and commenter, sociologist, historian, Mr. Fumi Saito. We are talking the NWA Championship in Japan and its significance from the 70s, from the 60s, late 50s, into the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and a little bit of the 2000s. We talk about Luthez. We talk about Ric Flair. We talk about the differences of what the NWA Championship represented in the 70s and how much more prestigious it was at certain points in time. This is a very interesting one, so please enjoy. Check it out. If you have not already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network. The podcast feed, particularly. It's on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are usually listening to your podcast, please Hit the subscribe button because it helps us very much. All right. Let's jump in. All right. So today, the NWA championship in Japan. And NWA champions. NWA champions in Japan. Very prestigious time for the NWA champions when they would come over to Japan. Usually all Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, uh, they started with N- uh, JWA, Nippon Pro Wrestling, before All Japan, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I believe that the Japan as a market was responsible for making more legitimate, you know, I mean, as far as NWA goes, because Japan as a market was always some something that would be, still be challenging American market, the whole industry, not just wrestling business, but, you know, that Japan's, you know, economy, you know, just Japanese economy trying to be number two or number three in the whole world kind of thing. This is the whole mentality of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it was uh, Japan was still challenger that uh, not, not a number one spot, but uh, NWA was some almost like a symbol of something that you have to conquer or something. You know what I'm saying? 
It was like uh, the uh, FIFA World Cup. It was the the NBA uh, championship. It was the Super Bowl kind of. Thing. It was the the main treasure that. And also, there's something that Japan didn't create, but it was much bigger. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Global, yeah. global scale. Yeah. So that was the theme of whole Japanese wrestling industry, and I'm talking about the world heavyweight champion Lou Thess. That the very first NWA champion that came to Japan back in 1957, 1957, with Ricky Dozen at the Korakuen Stadium, you know, uh, at the uh, Stadium, the baseball stadium, instead of Korakuen Hall. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, it was what was interesting about this NWA thing, National Wrestling Alliance, is that uh, the Luthes undisputed world champion at the time, right? Mm-hmm. It was not very much undisputed leisure because uh, November of 1957, that it was Luthes' very first trip. But uh, June of the same year, 1957, um, NWA World Heavyweight Title start disputing themselves. You know what I'm saying? That uh, June of 1957 in Chicago, Edward Carpentier beat Luthes to become NWA champion already. I mean, like six months, five, six months prior to Luther's first trip to, to Japan, that uh, Edouard Carpentier started defending his NWA world title all over the place. At the same time, Luther's still traveling as a champion and defending his t- world title all over the place. And uh, so much of undisputed world title, right? Mm-hmm. And wherever uh edward carpentier you know loses and drop his belt another world heavyweight title created like in in, in boston that uh, killer kowalski beat edward carpentier to became to become world heavyweight champion they, they wouldn't say nwa but uh, uh, as, as a spin-off as a result another world heavyweight title was created uh, Edward Carpentier, a couple years later, you know, comes to Los Angeles and drops the title to Freddie Blassie. Therefore, undisputed world title become another spin-off world title that the uh, the WWA uh, Worldwide Wrestling Associates it was created, and in Los Angeles market had its own world title. Yeah, that uh, Carpentier did that uh, back home in uh, Montreal. And he dropped the title in Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places. And that the New Mexico, uh, that the Albuquerque, New Mexico promoter created title. And there was another world title in Denver, and also Minneapolis, and uh, Omaha, Nebraska. That uh, Vern Gagne wanted to use this leverage, you know, that, that to beat the current champion, so that you can create AWA. Right, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, so much of that the Luthes was type of you know world heavyweight champion, the world traveling champion at that. That uh, if he loses in that part of part of the world, another world title will always be created. So we have to keep that in mind. Anyhow, that the 19 uh, November of 1957, then undisputed world heavyweight champion. They didn't even announce it was NWA in Japan. He was the world heavyweight champion. Sure. So I had a yeah. different kind of, technically I had a different nuance, but 
a lot of people assumed. Yeah, it was an NWA World Heavyweight Title, but uh, I looked through. They, they, Ricky Dawson filmed the, you know, the, the title match, and they made a movie, right? And right. that there was the TV footage, and there was a program written like a print, you know, material that the, you know, none of those old footage or that the old magazine or booklet had NWA name on it, which is weird. Mm-hmm. That uh, Luthes World Heavyweight Champion. That's it. So NWA that uh, story was more more or less created a little bit later on, you know. But uh, this is NWA, okay? World Wrestling Alliance, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, Luthes came to Japan and defended his world title for the first uh, first trip to Japan. And 1957 version of Ricky Dozan, of course, in his prime, that the king, kingpin, that the king of pro wrestling, right, in, in Japan, and challenging world heavyweight title, finally, for the first time. And Ricky Dozan's so smart, he shouldn't win. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if he beat Luthes upon his first arrival, that would be the end of long story, huh? Sure. Yeah, so in that, um, you just have to, you know, uh, realize that the people expected that the Ricky Dozan would win the title then, but it, Ricky Dozan was smarter that the not winning was actually better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, and uh, he had two title matches, one at the Korakuen Stadium, baseball stadium, and uh, four days later at the... Osaka, this big swimming pool that can hold 20,000 people. And they had that and then two Broadways, you know. The one at the Korakuen Stadium was like a no, two out of three, four was no fall, 60 minutes all the way. And uh, the first meeting, you know. Two uh, announced as two out of three, four match, right? But none of them had the pinfalls, uh, not one fall. It's like zero against zero all the way, 60 minutes. Ooh, that was a good match kind of thing. And they made a movie out of that. And four days later, they had another match in Osaka, another title match. And uh, it was like one four, one four each. And the third four was double count out where Luthes had an airplane spin, you know, that Ricky Dozan on his shoulder, spin, spin, spin. And both, both of them go out of the ring over the top rope and they didn't make, make the count. Mm, I remember seeing footage of that and the people were just so shocked and uh, amazed that when they crashed out of the ring, it was really, uh, was it maybe more unbelievable for that time to see something so, uh, I guess. I mean, both guys, yeah, spinning with the airplane, spin move, and the both guys, you know, just claps out of the ring from, you know, from top over top up onto the floor. And and neither of them made a count. Mm-hmm. But it was like a convincing draw. Like, well, they fought so you know they fought so hard that it was a good match. It's okay to not have a clear winner or something. And that spells to be continued sign, right? And they actually after that they traveled around you know Japan, on eight more cities or so, and then had a seven more single matches. Um, they didn't announce it as the title match, but at the building, they looks like title match, huh? Sure. It felt like one too. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually had, um, unannounced at the time, I mean, non-televised 
uh, Ricky Dozen and Ruthless sing much around the country, and they, they did the big numbers. And uh, on at the end of the trip, trip, they went to Okinawa and had another single match. Okinawa at the time was not part of Japan. It was Okinawa, U.S. territory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Okinawa wouldn't be returned to Japan until like 1975. Sure. Yeah. 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 So what the reason Rick Dozen um, periodically, like a couple three times a year, went to Okinawa was uh, to buy U.S. dollars. You know. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different world, different time, different economy. That. Uh, You'd be paying American wrestlers with U.S. dollars, you know, but the currency is different, and uh, the, the structure and the rules, the regulations are different. You know, you don't go to banks and buy U.S. dollar at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Ricky Dozen, you know, ran show a couple of times, you know, in Okinawa a couple of times a year, and then get dollars back home, you know. Uh, so that was part of the deal. Anyhow, so 1957, this, we we're talking about NWA story today, World National Wrestling Alliance, that uh, it was like a Japanese wrestling market and Japanese wrestling press, you know, that the wrestling journalism community all, you know, pretty much wrote up that the, the NWA, uh, not the NWA, but the Ruthest was the uh, undisputed world champion. And people don't dispute that. And uh, Ricky Dawson couldn't beat him. And actually, he came back. And uh, yeah. And also, uh, following the year 1958, you and I talked about the, the origin of the international heavyweight title, right? Mm-hmm. That the, Ruth S. following year dropped the NWA title to Dick Hutton, you know. And uh, when Ricky Dawson and Ruth S. had a so called title match in Los Angeles that uh, August of 1958, Ruthless wasn't NWA World Champion, but they announced it as some kind of title match. And and uh, count out finish, Ricky Dawson beat Ruthless in Los Angeles and brought the well, they didn't bring the, the physical championship belt, but they brought the title back and and, and, and announced that it was international heavyweight title that the Ricky Dawson beat Ruthless for, and that version of international title stayed in Japan forever. All the way till today's part of Triple Crown, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about NWA uh, and the affiliation with Japanese wrestling market. That the uh, JWA uh, Nippon Pro Wrestling did not become NWA member until like 1967. Yeah. Hmm. Well, think about it. This is after Ruthless. None of those NWA champions came came to Japan. See, Dick Hutton came to Japan, but when he wasn't champion, Pat O'Connor came to Japan, but he wasn't NWA champion at the time. Buddy Rogers actually never came to Japan. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, he was one. Yeah, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers was one wrestler who never had Japan tour. Yeah. And Gene Koniski, uh, world heavyweight champion, NWA world heavyweight champion, he came to Japan 67 and 68. And we talked about that too. Gene Kniski as NWA champion came to Japan tw- uh, twice while he was having uh, holding this NWA world, world title. The 67 and 68, two, two years 
in a row that he came to Japan and challenged Giant Baba's international heavyweight title instead of defending his NWA world title. So uh, NWA world heavyweight title wasn't defended in Japan until 1969. It was Dory Funk Jr. era. Are you with me? Yes. Uh, the Dory Funk Jr. era. Now, yeah. how regularly was Dory Funk Jr. wrestling at that time in Japan? In Japan. Uh, the first trip he came was the, the fall of 1969, just six, seven months after he beat Gene Kaniski in Tampa, Florida. Like 28-year-old new generation world champion and they wrote, you know wrote up so much that uh, japan was still challenger that the giant baba would be challenging tori funk jr for the title antonio inoki then what the 27 year old like a uh, young superstar antonio inoki challenging tori funk jr for the title and this very first trip of tori funk jr as world heavyweight champion defended his title against both Baba and Inoki, and both had 60-minute Broadway that, whoa, Baba couldn't beat him, whoa, Inoki couldn't beat him, and they took the world title home. I mean, Dory made Dory Funk Jr. unbeatable champion. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And it came back the following year, 1970, they did at that time, Baba... Uh, defended his international heavyweight title against Dory Funk, but Inoki still challenged uh, the, the Dory Funk's uh, world heavyweight title yeah, as a challenger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 71 on, that Dory Funk, Terry Funk came came to Japan at least a couple, three times a year, every year for the next, next 20 years. Yeah. Mm. And Baba always kind of switch, switch affiliate because... Uh, up until like a 71, 72, Dory Funk Jr. would come to JWA to defend his title. But upon Giant Baba's opening of All Japan Pro Wrestling in October of 1972, the Amarillo, Texas quickly switched the affiliate. Dory Funk Sr., I mean, still alive at the time, okay? Mm. Dory Funk Sr. signed a deal with Japan, I mean, Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling. And Dory and Amarillo was the company that was supplying American talent to Jan Baba for quite quite some time. Mm -hmm. You know, to go to the, the Jan Baba's old Japan, you gotta go through Dory Funks, uh, either, either senior or junior. Uh, and then uh, in in that ring, Jan Baba always treated Dory and Terry Funk as American babyface from that time on. Interesting, you, huh? What year was that from from right uh, then? Um, 73 on. 73 on. So right from the beginning of Around All Japan is when... Yeah, very first very first opening show was like uh, October, October of 1972. That was All Japan's opening series. Mm -hmm. They had Bruno San Martino and Dory Funk Sr. and Terry Funk. See, Dory Funk Jr. was still world traveling champion. He couldn't come to Japan. But the Dory Funk Sr. and Terry Funk came instead. And I following see. year, upon, um, and then also that year's, you know, golden rookie, you know, young Jumbo Tsura was sent to Amarillo, Texas to debut and trained under the Funks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And rookie Jumbo was already challenging Dory Funks Jr. in Amarillo. Yeah. 
And and seventy three on, yes. Um, NWA World Title was always defended in All Japan's Jan Baba's All Japan Ring, uh, from Dory Funk, Dory Funk dropping that you know title to Harley Race, right? Mm-hmm. Long hair Harley Race at that, and Harley Race dropping the belt to uh, Jack Briscoe in Houston, Texas. Then Jack Briscoe will come. And very um, famous, very famous uh, tour was January, January of 74, that uh, Dory Funk and Harley Race and Jack Briscoe, all three, uh, the, the former and current world champion came to Japan together. Yeah. That's that must have been a big deal, yeah. Oh, real big deal, yeah. It, that's the famous picture that uh, Jack Briscoe holding red uh, version of NWA belt and Dory Funk and Harley Race standing next to Jack Briscoe. You know the famous photo? Yeah. It's a famous photo, and it's not something you would see in American magazines at the time. Not all I those guys. I guess not if you think about the baby. Who's baby face and heels, right? Right, right. It depends. Yeah. And they would switch it a lot, right? When, you know, somebody might be a baby face in Japan, but they could be go home and be a total heel. Or, uh, or vice versa. Total, total baby is in America, but when he comes to Japan, he'll be just American heel. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. And also, Dory Funk against Terry, uh, the Dory Funk against Jack Briscoe, Jack Briscoe against Harley Race, Harley Race against Dory Funk. Was, this main event taking place all over the United States that that they shouldn't be photographed together. You know? Right. Yeah. But in Japan, yeah, they traveled together and they were on the bullet train together. And uh, yeah, actually, during that tour, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, and Dory Funk, along with Giant Baba and Dick Byer Destroyer and Rookie Jumbo Tsura, they all switched around and had a, a single match against one another, title match or not. So every single night, it was some kind of dream match. And people who grew up, you know, like watching that portion of old Japan pro wrestling, like Baba's prime time and very like pro NWA, the undisputed world heavyweight champion and the biggest thing in wrestling and all that, that the older fan, older generations wrestling fan in Japan, like over 60, they still believe NWA was the only thing they believed in. <laughs> right. It was the, the be all end all. It was the global stage. NWA was where the best yeah. wrestlers in the world would meet and come and put it on the line and go for the title. But realistically, in East Coast, New York, WWE, today's WWE, but the then WWF existed with people like Bruno San Martino and Pedro Morales and, you know, and NWA, uh, AWA, Vern Gagne's AWA, that the Midwest, but it's pretty big territory, like AWA is not just Minnesota, but Wisconsin, Illinois to North and South Dakota, Nebraska, all the way to Denver. And at the end, like it went all the way to like San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. In Manitoba, Canada. So AWA also was pretty big territory too, but for some reason, that the like, real hardcore, not a hardcore, but the reading oriented Japanese wrestling fans from 70s into well into 80s and 90s, too, for that matter. That NWA World Wrestling, uh, not the National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Title, was it. Yeah, and then when I dispute it, they kind of get mad at me, though, to, even to this day. Really? 
Yeah, because they something they believed in so much as a kid. Don't yeah, just don't violate that. It's like telling them <laughs> Santa Claus doesn't exist, huh? In a way, yeah, yeah. No, or I, there was another major league, or you know. And we all we. Another, I think no matter how much of an expert any of us are, I think often we all tend to go back and look at our first, our early generation of wrestling that was happening as the best generation, the generation yeah, we grew it, up with. And it was better or something. Better or like, and I'm already getting to the point where I find myself saying, oh, I think I like older stuff. But, and I'm stopping myself because I sound like how, <laughs> People older than me sounded like when I was young. I sound the same way. So I'm noticing that it's we are attached okay. to yeah, like growing up like in the 80s, you know, like Hulk Hogan's version of WWF was is bigger than what it is today. I mean, in, in your head. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I liked it at the end of the Hulkamania in the late 80s and 90s, and then there was a big dip for WWF. Yeah. And uh, that was we uh, kind of going off a little bit off off script. But when we when I was watching it, it was hard to s explain or understand what where are the all these other big companies coming from? But this company is telling me that they're the biggest in the world because I see other companies. And then they, you read the magazines and you read about Japan, you read about Mexico and these big crowds. And you get interested. Oh, that's world class or NWA crackhead or all you know. of it. Yeah. So, or even Jerry Lawler's Tennessee, hot, hot territory, you know. But in Japan, I think it was more clarified that the NWA, whoever is involved with the NWA, is the best of the best in the world. And you're going to see the best with if you see an or NWA champion. More like a greatest and biggest wrestling governing body or something. Yeah, I, I it wasn't, yeah, because it wasn't company. It was like they recognized that there were so many different areas and territories, independent companies all around the U.S., like 25 different companies. It was all members of NWA. Therefore, it's above everybody or something. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like FIFA. It's a governing yeah. body that doesn't necessarily... Yeah, to prove the point, it's like, see, uh, Von Eric's uh, Dallas territory was, you know, popular and big, but uh, Ric Flair, the champion, I'm talking about early 80s, Ric Flair or Harley Race would come to Dallas once or twice a year to make world, you know, world heavyweight championship match happen, and that uh, whomever at the top, either Kerry Von Eric or Kevin Von Eric or sometimes David Von Eric, they would challenge NWA champion, then does not win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, well, yeah, NWA must be above those companies. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or go to, go to Tennessee and Jerry Lawler, you know, challenge NWA champion or AWA champion for that matter, that the, the, that the, those governing body must be above those territories or something. It's just ideas of it, you know, because other territory didn't rec recognize their own world champion. That's true, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be like the uh, St. Louis champion or uh, no, <laughs> or South, South Florida yeah, champion. Yeah, but there was such thing called Missouri heavyweight title. Yes, you know? that was the Harley Race's big... Uh... Yeah, yeah, and also there was Georgia heavyweight champion, Florida mm -hmm. heavyweight champion, 
And so they say, whoa, there must be local champions. Sure. Well, Southern heavyweight champion, like Lava. Yeah. Something That's like right. that. So, so in Japan, NWA world champion. I mean, either you, you, it'd be Jack Briscoe or uh, Harley Race or a little bit later on Ric Flair. Yeah. They would come in and wouldn't lose the title. Or a couple, three times, Harley Race. Uh, was you know defeated by Jan Baba, but the end of the tour, like uh, ten days later, Jan Baba will drop the title back to Holy Race. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, couldn't win. Mm-hmm. You cannot keep NWA title in Japan. That made it even bigger and you know better. You know, I mean, bigger and better than Baba's PWF title. I mean, in, in wrestling fans' mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And also that the Antonio Inoki's New Japan company couldn't invite NWA champion. That even made NWA that much more special, right? Right. And at that time, Inoki would bring in not necessarily big international stars. They'd turn into stars, guys like Tiger Jeet Singh and guys sure. like people. Johnny Powers. Johnny Powers, NWF well, the on, Carl Gotch, of course, and mm-hmm. H. Lufes. You know, and somebody like Antonino Rocca, special referee or something. But they weren't associated with NWA yet. Or at the. Uh, A little bit, because Los Angeles, Mike LaBelle territory, that was technically NWA affiliate, you know, Mm -hmm. but you still couldn't bring in uh, current NWA world champion like Jack Briscoe or Harley Race, Dory Funk Jr. It's all all Japan guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually, there's another backstory that the two years in a row, like 74, 75, that Antonio Inoki's NWA, uh, Antonio Inoki's New Japan applied for NWA membership at the Las Vegas conference, and it was denied or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, oh, Inoki couldn't be NWA member. Therefore, NWA is bigger and better, and they choose Giant Baba over Inoki, something like that. And mm. it was all written up in the magazine. So it's like, wow, NWA choose Giant Baba's Old Japan over Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Therefore, Giant Baba must be better promoter uh, for American wrestling community or something. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess that's the image that they would have, right? Yeah. Well, Inoki fans, you know, always believed in Antonio Inoki. Sure. And uh, the title, NWF title, right? Mm. Very similar, but different. 
uh, Inoki always had this NWF title, and then you, and that was uh, your marquee title. And then Inoki defended the title for seven straight years and never lost, almost. And uh, that was New Japan world, you know, New Japan universe, Antonio Inoki's world. But uh, in back of hardcore wrestling fans' mind, that they wish. NWA champion would come to New Japan and 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 have a match against Antonio Inoki, which never happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that made NWA myth that much bigger. Mm. Yeah, especially but, those uh, for the first ten years of those All Japan shows are the the NWA even into the eighties when Ric Flair would come over. With that, was skipping a little bit, but it was always yeah, but a Bob, huge. Bob wouldn't deal. challenge Ric Flair for the title. It was no, Jumbo, no, the era. No, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but Jumbo couldn't beat Ric Flair. So, wow, NWA title still strong, huh? Yeah. Was there ever a special, like a, a, a traditional or regular occasion each year when the NWA champion would come in? Would he come in during the summer? Would come in, or would it be? Uh, during summer, it's uh, during summer, it's the Funk's first half of the summer, Dorian Terry Funk, and the uh, second half of summer, it's Mill Maskers. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like a calendar year. Yeah, because the kids come to shows, right? So mm-hmm. Bill Masker's uh, season, August, you know. Ah, uh, they're yeah. out of school. Every yeah, every pretty much every year. Summer action series, they call it, you know. Ah. And, uh, Mil Maskers and his brother Dos Caras and Heel and wrestlers. And mm-hmm. Mil Maskers always walked babyface. So that was a summer deal. And uh, spring and fall, then uh, that uh, the NWA champion to make them even more special is that they wouldn't take five week tour. NWA world champion will come in just one week during that tour. Right. Yeah. And then leaves. Yeah. And would there? It wouldn't be all singles matches. It would be maybe one yeah, or two marquee that, uh, matches. Travel so much that uh, they sleep on. Yeah, and then defend title, usually like a 60-minute Broadway match that the local superstar would almost win but never does, you know, mm. then take the championship back home and saying that the TV commentator saying that they are so busy that they sleep on planes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I believe that as a kid, though. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's looking at some of these guys' schedules, having to be back in the States after a week in Japan only a day later, it's... I believe. Yeah, it. and then Ari Reis was telling that it's a true story that he leaves Japan in one afternoon and get on the plane, go straight back to St. Louis and defend that title that night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he really did that. And that night and the next morning, he traveled to San Juan, Puerto Rico and defend his title the same week. Something like that. Yeah, actually, truth, you know, mm-hmm. and the world champion was like that. Yeah. And everywhere he went, you were, I guess, assigned to do the 16-minute Broadway everywhere you went. So you were basically working 60-minute match every night of the week. You know, there's, like a, there's a footage that the Harley race against Dusty Rose all week, seven days in a row, every night, 60 minutes. Nice workout. But they must have done, yeah, but they must have done the exact same matches when you think about it. <laughs> True, you but know? also it wasn't a time where people could just record and uh, share it immediately. It was also like uh, it was it, it didn't feel no, repeated. That was, it yeah, fresh. decades before the internet or even videotape for that matter. Yeah. So, so 70s, right? Mm. So, yeah. they, I mean, 
did the Broadways stop happening in the eighties? Or, or did it because it felt like uh, there were more Japanese stars that were popular in the 80s than the 70s with the NWA championship. It became yeah, less about in it. the 80s in Japan, the, the, the top uh, matchups are Japanese against Japanese. You know, mm. like Fujinami against Choshu, the sure. Jumbo against Tenru, the, you know, so it's just a subtle heel and subtle baby face. It was more like a serious competition. Kind so it didn't feel like a NWA title was as, it, you know, it, it was important. It still was important, but it felt maybe a little less exciting. Uh, and also Japanese style kind of evolved, you know, hard mm-hmm. hitting, you know, right. not, not exactly Ric Flair face for, you know, face first bump and stuff like that. More uh, martial arts influence with the UWF and Tiger Mask and styles evolving. Jumbo Trula against, you know, know, Tenru that they kind of trusted each other and go everything hard way, right? Mm -hmm. And same with Hanson Brody and... Oh, yeah. Hanson Brody was actually bigger draw than your, you know, NWA champion. I mean, when you think about it, because their regular guys were drawing, you know, five to seven, eight thousand people night after night after night. That kind of draw locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, interestingly enough that you would think that Stan Hansen against NWA world champion would happen in Japan, right? Baba couldn't do it because you have to make NWA champion look good. But you have, you know, your Stan Hansen, Hansen, Bruiser Brody has to look good. Let's not do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in St. Louis, there was Brody against Ric Flair, 60-minute, you know, Broadway in mm-hmm. St. Louis. But it was like Brody must have worked a real slow pace, 60 minutes, huh? I, is that the the Broadway that the NTV came over to record? Uh, the footage exists, Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen some footage where they had the extra lighting and they had the full NTV crew and they set up the announcers at the table and everything. Yeah. And I think it was that one. Still two out of three, four match era, too. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. But you don't want to videotape Bruce Brody being one in you know, a pinned one, two, three in the second fall. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So and now, now that the, the, when we look back, they must have done something. <laughs> you know? you know, this is a but, uh, it, that makes me want to ask you a question like, about the, I guess, how the NWA champion would end up. Would they try, or not? Would they try? Would the NWA? Yeah, there's a or... different reason for it though, because up until Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe and Harley Race era, Giant Baba really treated NWA champion like NWA champion, right? But on uh, uh like uh, from rick uh, you know rick flair era begins that baba wouldn't even challenge rick flair for the world title it just gave the opportunity to either jumbo or tenru or misawa tiger mask for that matter when ricky steamboat came in as world nwa world heavyweight champion like in 89 baba didn't even put him in the main event that's right and uh he didn't connect the same way he did in the uh, States. Yeah, yeah. He, the Ricky Steamboat would, would connect in the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ric Flair era 
was the, I mean, when you think about it, it's the late 80s Ric Flair worked just like Hardy Race, though. Yeah. In a very similar style. Very serious compared to the rest of his work. You would really yeah. see him get uh, serious. He, yeah, like he, he wouldn't do as much of the exaggerated spots and uh, begging off. It was a little more of a competition. It was more like he was more like Harley Race. Yeah, look, yeah, it worked exactly like Harley Race. But at the same time, it was uh, the, the Baba's choice of challenger for the old Japan side was always going to be Jumbo Tsura that, that time on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, just slightly different because you already had your, you know, all Japan regular American roster that uh, where would NWA champion fit in? You know, come in one week and defend the title and go home, right? Mm. And the main event would be people like Stan Hansen or Bruce Brody. Yeah. And uh, just nwa affiliate in 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 in, in different ways that it's not as special like you're above japanese wrestling you know it's just different yeah and also people wanted wanted jumbo to win the title right Mm. and that this nwa thing you know that the Probably Baba didn't want Jumbo to win the NWA title. Instead, Jumbo in 84 beat Nick Bakwenko in Japan and be, really became AWA World Heavyweight Champion. He traveled back to Midwest and defended his title, and he went back and forth a couple of times, and he really had champion tour. And TV crew followed him as AWA World Champion. And uh, the Rick Flair, probably Jumbo and Rick Flair didn't really click as much. And also, it was around the time that the, the Vince McMahon's WWF na- the, the National Expansion Tour had begun, right? Already, mm. 84. And NWA became more and more NWA Jim Crockett promotion that uh, North Carolina, the West Virginia, the you know, this southern NWA territory kept. Rick Flair for time, you know, and then other territory like NWA Florida, the Pensacola, the NWA Georgia, the, um, the, the even St. Louis, you know, the central states, they were dying out, you know, they're closing shops. And in 1990, Sam re- finally retired this, all the affiliates of all these membership thing and uh, the biggest governing body of professional wrestling it became almost yesterday's news within the United States. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, same NWA World Heavyweight Champion, though, but the Ric Flair became more and more Jim Crockett promotion company champion, in a way. And by, I get like 1988, we really didn't see much of Flair or the NWA Championship again in until... Japan. Yeah, at least for a couple of years, yeah. Yeah, then uh, NWA Crockett promotion expanded so much that they kind of, you know, expanded like WWF and they start running all over, you know, start running shows all over the country. You know, at the same time, they had to sell the company. Oh, you bought Bill Watts, you know, 
the Midwest, uh, Mid-South company, UWF company, and they combined, and Jim Crockett company became even bigger and moved the office from, from Charlotte, North Carolina to Dallas, Texas, and a whole bit, and just uh, couldn't operate that way and then ended up selling the whole company to Ted Turner's company, Ted Turner's television. WCW. And, yeah, and then it's the beginning of, yeah, beginning of WCW. What was unique was, or the strange, was that uh, the new company called World Championship Wrestling under Ted Turner umbrella, right? They called their, they kept calling their World Championship NWA World title. Right. Then slowly but surely, they started recognize two sets of belts, <laughs> which this was confusing. Yeah, you'd really need it would almost be harder to figure out what was going on in TV. So you need your magazine and match the belt with the caption and see <laughs> which one was which. So you really get and one one summer, you know, Great American Bash, this up and coming superstar Sting beat Ric Flair for NW World, you know, world title. And pretty soon that uh, uh, New Japan and World Championship Wrestling became business partner as of 1990. And then they started recognizing Lex Luger's reign as WCW World Heavyweight Champion, right? Mm -hmm. Then you still had NWA World Title. And sometimes this Ric Flair or Gold Bell will be referred as WCW International Heavyweight Title. <laughs> right. That was confusing, wasn't it? It was hard to understand. And they wouldn't show the full matches on the programs in the States. They would show the clips. And yeah. it would be kind of... A couple minutes explanation, and you kind of still not know what's going on, but you'd see the title on Masa Chono, and it was, yeah, it was and confusing the, time. I say that the title match was uh, held between Masa Chono and Ravishing Rick Rude in Tokyo, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, see, we were talking about NWA champion in Japan, but now all of a sudden we had to talk about what was happening in America at the time. It interesting yeah yeah there was that and i it was nearby but I, I can't remember exactly at the moment if it was before or after chono but there was also the rick flair fujinami issue uh, 92 after, 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 yeah yeah because yeah, 1990 they revived nwa world heavyweight champion in japan and second annual g1 climax that uh was that first year then yeah ni uh, 91 wasn't it? 91. It was so second annual G1 Climax then. It With, was uh, Chono and yeah. Muto. N that wasn't NWA title. That the, wasn't that G1 the, one, the G1 finals? Yeah, G1 final and also NWA World Heavyweight title match. Master Chono beat Rick Rude to become NWA champion. And people didn't think it was is that the same NWA that we know of? Yeah, but he has Ric Flair belt. That was all that they had. But, you know, at around that time. It was in 92. It was 92. 92. That same year when I was watching WWF TV. Actually, that same... then the Fujinami thing happened before then because it was 91 Tokyo Dome, Starcade in Tokyo Dome, IWGP champion Fujinami against NWA world champion Ric Flair. And in Tokyo, if you were in the building, you believed Fujinami became double champion, beating Ric Flair, okay? 
Yeah, it was 91. And Chono thing didn't happen until 92 then. Yeah, March 20th, I just looked up. March 21st of 1991 at the Tokyo Dome, Starcade Tokyo Dome, the Fujinami, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami beat Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight title champion and became second Japanese world, uh, NWA World Champion. I mean, after Baba, right? And uh, clearly the affiliate was changed, that the NWA is doing business with New Japan. By then, on the other hand, Giant Baba pretty much cut all, all ties from American wrestling, and that was 1990 was the year that the Giant Baba recognized Triple Crown champion, combining international title and PWF title and a UN title together. The Triple Crown became all Japan's world title, sort of. And the New Japan signed the deal with WCW and it became partnership. And the first thing they did was basically Ric Flair against Fujinami at the Tokyo Dome. And Fujinami won the title uh, in the building. Yes, it looked like Fujinami had become double champ world champion. And it was carefully booked that the over-the-top over the DQ happened before Fujinami pinned Ric Flair. <laughs> Does that make sense? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's just, it's, you know, it was a confusing time. The, the same belt was on WWF TV in 92. Ric Flair would bring that in and I would see that. Right, he, right. They called it the yeah. real uh, world after, championship. After he left, after he left WCW. It was yeah. 1992 though. No, it was uh, uh, when Fujinami. Oh, 91. It was 91, yes. 91. And shortly after that, yeah, shortly after that, uh, Ric Flair really left dispute with Jim Hard. Uh, yes. President of WCW, then president, yeah. So it became really even more confusing time, you know. Yeah. Ric Flair, of all people, left NWCW and brought the physical belt to New York. <laughs> it's like almost revolutionizing. <laughs> yeah, but they again they wouldn't say NWA or WCW or anything. They would just say real world, real world, real world champion and real world title. Yeah. And he would just say this belt, this belt is better than the WWF belt. But I, yeah, as a kid, yeah, you're just like, what the hell's like going on? Like, yeah, a peep, uh, the, the champion for another company came actually moved to WWF, which was exciting, right? Very, very much yeah. so. After this Fujinami beating Ric Flair at the Tokyo Dome, actually, following month, uh, Fujinami traveled to St. Petersburg, Florida for Slambori and actually was a challenger, you know, but in Japan. The, uh, that the title, NWA World title, was up in the air, up for grabs. And second match, Flair beat Fujinami and unified the title or something. Yeah. So they wrapped it up, sort of. It was one of those things. It was very interesting, but um, how that match ended with Fujinami and Flair and how they never really followed up much afterwards. It was just a one and done sort of feeling event. And that was that. But it and was we explained in Japan though, that, uh, you know, controversial ending, that uh, over the top rope thing happened before Fujinami pinned um, 
flare with ground cover twist and then the two referee that uh, bill alfonso called it dq with uh, over the top rope but the second referee tiger hattori clearly pinned one two three you know the counted one two three fujinami beating rick flair with ground cover twist <laughs> you know and yeah so it was like you, you gotta favor local decision <laughs> how's that you know I don't think something like that could happen today. No, uh, no, no. Not it's even just, close. Uh, not even close because every, everybody's watching the whole world, it's all internet and uh, streaming service and uh, all the you know video footage will be out like next minute. <laughs> yeah, and you can look, you can really scrutinize and look very closely and rewind and fast forward. Uh, back then it was just yeah, a moment. But, but if you learn the history, that's how they did the world title thing, like in 1920s and 1930s and 1940s. You yeah. know, mm. with Ed Strangler Lewis to Joe Stecker to what the uh, Golden Greek Jim Londas to I don't know Gorgeous George or somebody. They just they always had very you know creative controversy ending that uh, at the building you know you thought your favorite won, won the title but the, when you see the next week on tv or something that the title was back to champion they did that with uh, the Hulk Hogan against Nick Bakwenko in Minnesota I mean not more, more than once in the building at St. Paul Civic Center it looked like uh, that uh, Hulk Hogan beat Nick Bakwenko and he actually wore the belt in his waist and left the ring and following week, uh, that somebody like AWA Prince and Stanley Blackburn or something come on TV and the title was back to my Nick Bachwinkle, you know? And uh, something like, they, they always did that, though, in wrestling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of this... Um... Something you can't do today, right? I mean, in ways, yes, but it's it's just it different. It's different, and it's not exactly... The the way we're watching is different. I think that's the big key. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, we have I wouldn't say better, but uh, different kind of understanding. There, I think uh, a fan that's in their twenties or thirties today has so many more resources to to <laughs> build up their their wisdom and uh, knowledge Wisdom's and experience. Fine, but uh, you know, I mean. Think, think so much of it and, uh, you know, get carried away by what you just watched. It's not not healthy, though. It's, it's, it's okay to believe in what you just saw. And uh, your memory as a child, you know, is just so vivid that uh, <laughs> we're talking about things from 30 years ago. And, and, uh, and yeah, it just stays in your head. And so today's fan... I think their attention span is shorter, but the memories are much shorter too. It's more, there's also a higher volume of stuff to watch. There's just so much. It's yeah, but different. They don't, but remember, today's, not just wrestling fan, but today's music fans don't listen to the entire song. <laughs> right. And they're also, I mean, not as many people are listening on the radio and they or buying a CD. It's just the oh, way nobody buys CD. Yeah. The way it's just uh Yeah, even the music, they only listen to the key phrases for 15 seconds and decide you like it or not, you know. 
Well, I, and I guess to tie that back into NWA, it's like it, the, the NWA title and NWA title matches are definitely not the types of matches that you can really s- just fly through and uh it's oh, not NWA title match. Yeah. You I have mean, to sit, and sit through and watch at least 35, 40 minutes of it. And you, you really, you shouldn't take your eyes off the screen. You know what oh, I mean? No. But, um, but it's then just, again, Kazuchika Okada does that today. They well, that's have why he's special. 40 minute title match in, in the, it go beyond your expect, you know, expectation, and they give you a better match than you expected. So that can be still be done, I think. But mm-hmm. for back to NWA, that I think the whole NWA, the biggest governing body of professional wrestling and, and undisputed world heavyweight championship and whole whole bit, it was the concept that was just until eighties. Mm. Maybe into a little bit into nineties, and we know what happened with Fujinami against Ric Flair at the Tokyo Dome and Slam Boy in '92. G1 Climax Final that they recreated NWA World Title when they had WCW World Title already. That uh, Ric Flair gold belt was brought in to Japan, and the tournament final was Masachono against Rick Rude, and Masachono beat Rick, Rick Rude to become NWA World Champion in Japan. And that time, we thought, this time, NWA World title will stay in Japan, right? Mm. But the following January, the, the, the Tokyo Dome main event, January 4th, 93, that the main event was Champion Chono um, Challenger Great Muta. And Great Muta beat Rick Flair, I mean, uh, Masachono to become that version of NWA world title. Then he traveled to America and dropped the title to Barry Windham. And that was the end of it. And that would be. Yeah, remember? I mean, like Asheville, North Carolina, or somewhere. And, and again, I remember television back then, it would, it would just be a few minutes highlight on television on Saturday night. So you'd only you'd only know so much as a fan over here. So you, you yeah, get a little yeah. bit of the idea, and you have to to dig around and maybe read magazines. Actual but. physical title matches took place. <clears throat> Great Muta as NWA champion brought the physical belt back to the states, and he defended title against Barry Windham, and Barry Windham won the title and became NWA champion, and pretty much. NWA title was forgotten after that point. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because NWA World Heavyweight title resurfaced someplace else with people who's like a Northeast promoter, uh, the, like Dennis Caruso's NWA, if you remember. Yes, the, in the tri-state area. Yeah, and the Harley Race model belt, you know, res, you know, revives, and people like Dan Severn or young Chris Candido, yeah? Uh, they started defending NWA world title. Yeah. And you would well, see it at the own... Indies. Yeah, You'd but see the, the Indies the, around. That, that version of NWA title came back to Japan, though. Like IWA Japan's Kawasaki Stadium, NWA champion Dan Severn comes over in places like in IWA Japan, the, the deathmatch company, right? Mm. But Dan Severn was NWA the Hardy West model belt, along with his UFC belt in, on his shoulder, and come to Japan and defends his NWA title against people, guys like Tarzan Goto. 
pretty surreal to say now, but it was uh, it was normal yeah, and pretty well was, known at the time. Uh, lineage is this arguable, you know, because WCW wasn't part of NWA, and groups of lawyers in America really won uh, that the uh, copyright, you know, like rights for NWA name and NWA World Heavyweight Title was revived in a way. And if you remember, you know, Naoya Ogawa, you know, of all guys. Of course. Silver medalist Judoka. Yeah, he won the NWA World Title, the Harley Race model. And Zero One's Shinya Hashimoto, he also won uh, that version of NWA World Title. Well, guys like Steve Corino, he won the world title and they bounced around and they, they the guys like Rob Conway, right? Mm-hmm. He had an NWA world title, then brought that back to New Japan, like in year 2000, and Satoshi Kojima beat him to become, once again, NWA world champion in Japan. Is that the same NWA or what? Is it it's something. Yeah, we had to scratch the head. Then we were ent- entering dark age of professional wrestling in 2005 that uh, that portion of NWA World Title was again forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, because NWA World Title still exists with, you know, Billy Cogan's, you know, Billy Cogan's NWA. And they just, I think that the lineage is still legal, I guess, that they call themselves NWA and they got the same logo. And uh, they call them NWA uh, National Wrestling Alliance. And they have their own TV, NWA Power, right? Mm-hmm. Well, also right before that, I, I I believe the NWA title that one we were just talking about that showed up, and that was the the TNA title for a while. Right, right, that too. Yeah, we oh, Jerry. I mean, the Jeff Jerry era. Yes, like right yeah, when they and, started, two thousand three. And, and Shamrock, and Sting again. Sting. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think because it was originally NWA TNA. TNA, right, right. right. And, and that was kind old of the old fashioned promoter like Jared's family believed in NWA at the time. Mm-hmm. If you revive NWA, the company would be so legitimate, right? I think when that started, I felt like that was aside from the, the stars that they had, the, the NWA title was the, the calling point for those initial pay-per-views like it was like it tried to feel like wcw like feeling that void right right because wcw was no longer and also there you know new company was new concept jeff jarrett created weekly pay-per-view and stuff like that right mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was already 20 years ago huh i can't believe that i can remember <laughs> I could. I remember. I don't remember who was the champion at the time, but I remember seeing TNA a couple of years later. After that, I think I mean, it was Christian Cage was the champion or something. Yeah, yeah. Before that, that's uh, what's a dancing you know African guy in, in uh, WCW. Ron, Ron Killings. His name was, was Ron. The NWA champion. And uh, he is um, in WWE. He's a uh, little Jimmy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the name is. Our uh, truth, our truth. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, our truth. Yeah. Uh, he was another, but he was an NWA champion too. There were a lot of the, the NWA title in the early two thousands was a bit of a hot potato, and 
it went to a couple of different companies and zero one for quite a while 2001 yeah, i remember yeah. and because uh, they were using this harley race model global belt that looks like nw belt is back mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yeah and I, for me, when that happened, it felt like Zero One had a little bit of an advantage because GHC didn't have, it was a new title completely and there was no, uh, you know, lineage to older titles over at NOAA. Right. But right. Zero One had that end up, they had Hashimoto and they had Otani and they had that NWA title. Oh, a little bit of time. Naoya Ogawa too, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it, it felt like the NWA, that was maybe before uh, TNA, that was the last serious revival that i can remember of that belt yeah and somebody like dan stubborn will come in and have good wrestling match like classic old style professional wrestling match that gives this that version of nw title you know that that much rub right Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah but for for older fans it's like wow that that's not nw no you know so that was a well, all in all, NWA World Heavyweight Title still exists to this day, huh? Yeah, that's right. I, we, we, yeah, power in uh, Billy Corgan's version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that you know, somewhat uh, like a, for some people, that's the marquee name and image that they can rely on, huh? Seems that way, but as time goes on, it falls a little bit too into memory. And it's yeah, because of... in the meantime, Vince McMahon's WWE really conquered the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it had a different. They have their own universe uh, history and titles, and they have the Universal Title and the World Title and SmackDown and Raw Title. They have their <laughs> own. They have their own uh, uh, continuity, their own canon. Well, the, all in all, the biggest audience in the world. That's right. Biggest marketplace in the world. But in the in the seventies, in the seventies, the NWA title was was a thing of of prestige and and the whole concept of traveling world champion. You know, territory to territory, Hmm. states to state, to town to town, and uh, you know, Keiji Muto while while he was working in NWA Florida territory, that when Ric Flair comes in, everybody's paycheck was much bigger. That's hmm. what world heavyweight champion does. You know what I'm saying? That's right. It's like, I mean, like in the real, you know, uh, I don't know if I should say the the actual amount, but the, you know, the guys were making eight hundred a week. You know, or some people five hundred dollars a week, right? Then mm-hmm. the, the week Ric Flair came in, and everybody's paycheck was twenty five to th- you know to three thousand dollars. Oh my gosh, this week's paycheck so. So because Rick Flair was drawing ten thousand people for seven consecutive nights, mm. you know that's what World Heavyweight Champion does for wrestlers. You know a value for it. You know, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So uh, that's like another way to look at what the World Champion is. Yeah. Mm. So that's a great way. Lu- yeah, because when Luthes was a world, world in the World Champion, every state, every week, every town, every weekend. Whenever Luthes came in, it's like you're a super show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and normally drawing anywhere from two, you know, like two, you know, fifteen hundred to two thousand people in that territory. That when the, the week Luthes comes in, all of a sudden you're drawing twelve to fifteen thousand people in the bigger building. Yeah, it's like a big deal. So that's what the world champion was. Yeah, 
But then again, it was the territory days, and there was no cable television, let alone internet information. <laughs> and yeah, that the news traveled so slow that uh, you know, Lucas was doing this, you know, controversy finish that it looks like your local local champion, local babyface will almost beat the world heavyweight champion. But somehow, somewhat, that uh, Lutez will keep the belt and leave town. Kind of like that's what Nick Bakwink was doing too, you know. he His challenger was always strong. And for some, somehow, somewhat, that uh, Bobby Heenan or somebody gets in and uh, Nick Bakwink will end up keeping title and leave the, leave the building. Yeah. Flair, I think, would do something very similar. And the guys like similar, George South. It only worked to 80s. That's it, though. Well, I think people were able to catch on to the pattern. Yeah, yeah. If it's a pattern, people will catch on to it. And also, what you saw already on cable, they might do the very same or similar match at your house show locally in, right. in like in Baltimore or somewhere, and then people go, have, have I seen this one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like traditionally, you know, like a Friday night, Saturday night in house shows, they almost rehearse the spot at the you know, non-televised house shows. Mm. They go into title match. Yeah. Because not same audience are watching, you know, in next town. Some yeah. hardcore fans will travel and drive three hours, five hours, you know, drive five, six hours to get to another town and watch, but a very small portion of the audience. Yeah. Even oh, it was almost Florida. like a dress rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, because even in the Florida, NWA Florida territory, it's just all seven days a week. It's basically driving distance, right? Yeah. But they were still doing the same match every night and not same audience. I mean, it's like from Fort Lauderdale to Miami to, yeah, Tampa, four hours away, five hours away, you're dealing with completely different live audience. And they wouldn't tell you much on your television. Right. It would yeah. be limited, very yeah. limited. But like, like in the territory like Japan, the whole country would be watching the same show. So that's different, you know, too. Hmm. It's yeah, a big deal. Yeah. And also when Jan Baba beat Jack Brick, Briscoe for the first time to become NW World Champion, right? And they, they televised it and they did it over and over. But the end of the tour... Jan Baba would quietly drop the title back to Jack Briscoe, non-televised match. And they didn't even say anything on TV. And maybe a month later, I go to bookstore and read wrestling magazine and black and white page. There's like, oh, there was a title match. Again, <laughs> the third match that uh, Jack Briscoe won the title back and went home. Then you just find out maybe a month later that TV didn't tell you, tell you about that. So I learned something as a kid. Mm. <laughs> that was the only way. That was the only way. Yeah, but but Baba was uh, in a way. Baba was honest promoter that uh, when he beat Jack Briscoe, big payday and everything. You can read that on the Jack Briscoe biography that uh, Baba will honor the promise and uh, drop the title at the end of the tour. He did that with Harley Race three times. He won the title, NWA title two more times in beating Harley Race. But the end of the tour, like 10 days later, two weeks later, that the Harley Race would win the title back in Japan. Actual match take place, non-televised, and Harley Race will take belt home. 
non-televised. Mm. But you know that, that's honest business too, in a way, and that's why Jan Baba was a very trusted promoter within American wrestling community, right? And you, you and I talked about how. Antonio Inoki beat Bob Backlund in Japan and kind of relinquished the title in Japan and actually never got beaten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Never right. dropped the title back to Backlund. It, it was kind of a way to protect the image. way to treat the business, huh? Yeah, protect the image, uh, hide things from the fans, but not. it's not necessarily malicious. It's just, like you said, it's for business. Yeah, uh, I mean, the wrestling media in Japan went with it. That uh, in Japan, that uh, you and I talked about that last month. That Bob Backlund against Cowboy, Bo the Big Bad Bobby Duncan was not a NWA t the WWF title match in in, in at the Madison Square Garden. It was Texas Death Match. Therefore, Bob Backlund comes into ring without the belt. And Japanese magazine will take the photo. That's right, Bob Backer not wearing the belt. Ah, uh, very tricky. <laughs> oh, very carefully designed, huh? It's interesting because again, it's something that we're in a different time period, so we're not going to have. You don't need those skills, or you do. They just need to be updated to today's age, today's technology. But back I then, I don't even know if today's fan will take this title change that seriously. I don't know. I mean, titles change. Every week, I mean, not every, I, but, but you still have champion like Roman Reigns with south one th over 1000 day reign, and I think that's the you only know, way, yeah. If Roman Reigns be beaten on TV or pay per view situation, don't make big announcement kind of thing, you know, that's a big news, yeah. So that can it, still be done, but uh, very different, it's the same company, anyhow. And the, the pace of everything is much faster these days. The way people yeah. consume the their pro wrestling, it's just it, the the timing. Yeah, like the pace and the rhythm of everything is so much more fast now. Everything you're getting it will still be tested because Roman Reigns really is the longest reign world, oh, the universal champion in modern era, and he still is. And we still don't know when he would drop the title, right? So, yeah. But then again, they created another World Heavyweight title. And uh, WWE World Heavyweight title will be crowned at the, 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 the was that Night of Champion in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Parade of Champions. Yeah, not the Parade of Champions. Night of the Champions, yeah. Hmm. So they will still have World Heavyweight title, yeah. And any other company can have World Heavyweight title, but they can say, call it World Heavyweight title. But, uh, well, realistically, WWE World title will be bigger than the rest. That's the idea these days, huh? Yeah. Well, IWGP World Heavyweight Champion is another thing that doesn't mingle with WWE you know, universe. So, um, yeah, let's count on New Japan. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because that's an, another world title from another company in another country. So that's about the only, you know, believable world heavyweight championship these, these days. Yeah, that's yeah. the case. Yeah, because AEW world champion against IWGP world champion hasn't even happened, you know? Yeah. So, 
I think New Japan will expand with this, you know, streaming pay-per-view, and uh, they will have more shows in America. And uh, that goes with IWGP Women's World Title too. Uh, that uh, the Mercedes Monet is basically recognized world champion. That uh, let's see how she does. Yeah, because yeah. she'll be defending title in Japan and in America. So, didn't she lose it? I guess she did, but uh, I guess she did. I'm still talking about her as a champion, but right. I believe that uh, it will be, you know, like playing catch, though. I see. Yeah, yeah, because that would be the headline of women's division, yeah, for quite some time. You know, like, uh, yeah, Iwatani against Mone. Yeah, that's your title match. And I think... Yeah, which wrestler is a champion at the time, yeah. It's interesting that what we talked about today, you can sort of use what we talk about today and study how Mercedes Monet and this new IWGP Women's Championship will develop because we don't know how it how it's going to develop and what the image of it is going to be. It's all, it's it's still so new right now. So I think it's kind of interesting yeah, what to we know follow along. Is that the world is much smaller place to live. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So Geographically, it's uh, halfway around the world, you know, there's something happening in Tokyo, something happens in LA or something, but it's like the world, with, because of technology, really is a smaller place to live now. Mm. Yeah. So it's uh, just like you and I always talk about wrestling is not completely independent with what's happening in the real world. Mm. It's often quite connected to what's yeah, happening. Yeah, so what's happening right now, we really we can study, you know, this, like, this is how it works today. Yeah. Yeah. So we started, yeah, we started out today, it was 1957, Luthes, you know, undisputed world champion, you know, coming to Japan for the first time and having a title match against Ricky Dozen at the Korakuen Stadium. Korakuen Stadium doesn't even exist anymore. It's Tokyo <laughs> Dome, right? Mm. <laughs> time flies. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, we—I mean, wrestling history and how they did things, you know, 60 years ago, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. I think we can really rationalize, uh, like, assumption, or you know, we can kind of kind of learn what what they're gonna do, or you know. Mm, yeah, I think you know, things can be done or cannot be done. They say history repeats itself, and sometimes you just see the patterns throughout history. Every 20, 30 years, there are similarities. Yeah. And or, also, even in wrestling, you know, this, this is always justified. The, the, the wrestler, the superstar that draw people, you know, in numbers, they are champions. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, it, it really seen. dictated the business more so. Of it, course. It's a paying audience. Like the stat you were talking about, Ric Flair earlier, when he would be on the card and he'd make everybody else so much money. I think that's yeah, a big yeah, idea. Like, you know, next week when you get a paycheck and young, you know, 23-year-old great Muta said, oh, whoa, look at this paycheck. So the week Ric Flair worked, Florida, everybody got the bigger paycheck. Yeah. So he, he learned that's what our champion does. That, I think, really 
hits hard and no matter what era it is that shows the kind of person or athlete you have to be to you had to be to be NWA champion. You yeah. had a lot of responsibility. Yeah. It's not going to be your paycheck next week. This time, you know, that uh, pay, pay-per-view numbers or something like that, or subscribers number or something. Right? Yeah, right, right. It's going to be a subscriber numbers or, or yeah, pay-per-view buys or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so it's much bigger universe. And much T-shirts bigger sold. Too. Yeah, that too, yeah. So I think, I guess, market's bigger now than ever. Mm-hmm. But there's also more room for people to be champions of different areas of interest in wrestling. You can be a deathmatch champion. You could be a champion in a different country. You can be a champion, uh, male or female. There's all different. Uh, yeah, at pedi- the same time, the bigger company win, though. <laughs> right? Yeah, because it's hard to imagine any company would be, uh, you know, I mean, selling more March or pay-per-view number or streaming number than WWE, realistically. I think only a draw, like you said, is someone who could outdraw a company. You know, somebody like Fuachan is so popular that she can outdraw stardom with her Twitter account. You know what I mean? It's somebody that's yeah, so much bigger Twitter than the business. account is not as big a money gathering of course platform as wrestling streaming no yeah that's the kind of discussion it's kind of like we have to design the new parameters we have to just like how because, what know, can we judge getting, yeah people getting used to you know buying this streaming i pay per view you know five thousand yen six thousand yen like a fifty sixty dollars per show on your iphone that's the economy we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And you're not talking about 10, like a 10, 20,000, but the, you're talking about 100,000 subscribers a show, probably like a 200,000 subscriber, I mean, $50, $60 per, per show. So that's, the, the number's getting bigger and bigger now. And it's a less local territory and you're selling to people from all over the world. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably why that the Japanese companies should all should have English commentary and English play by play by play. Because for the rest of the world, you know, you need English speaking product. No, lingua franca. That's what the yeah, most I mean, of the world from, speaks. From, yeah, from yeah, from this, you know, from where I am. Yeah, because if even all Japan had English play by play and English commentary the english-speaking world can buy it you know and without this english-speaking commentary and play-by-play it's so hard to buy those products right it's a higher barrier of entry because wrestling is a universal language you can watch wrestling and understand and enjoy it but the best wrestling is for everybody yeah i think so i think so but you still as a product pay-per-view product streaming ipv product you need the language Yeah. yeah yeah I think that's the area we, we live in, right? Right, yeah. It, 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 we're still figuring it out, too. It moves really fast. It moves really quickly. I think so, yeah. But um, Very good. So did we uh, accomplish yeah. what we're going to accomplish today? You know, yeah, well, I, I was thinking, you know, NWA Championship, it really does change in uh, its character a lot over the years. It went from being a really prestigious 
important titles. Governing, yeah, like a wrestling governing body of organ, uh, the, the promoters you know, and stuff like that. And, and then it floated on to a different kind of path. It, it, it reflects 80s business. It reflected 70s business and 80s business and 90s business, business into two major companies in America, WWF and WCW. Then Vince McMahon conquering the world era, then technology to go with it. And just, it really, really symbolize the nature of wrestling business. Mm, I think there's a you lot to take away. World heavyweight title. Mm. I mean, like it's a pyramid, you know? I mean, not the pyramid business, but the, you always have this cluster of wrestlers. It doesn't matter how many, you know, 200 wrestlers in the roster. I mean, WWE is so big that so many wrestlers in the roster, but you still have same number of guys on top. That's about it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, 200 wrestlers on the contract. You only have 30 wrestlers on TV. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, we learn a lot from this world title history. Yeah. If anybody has questions or comments about NWA Championship in Japan, NWA Championship. We'll do an AWA portion sometime soon, okay? Yes. Because yeah, that has its own separate yeah, history. Separate history and the different, you know, they, they went out of business. And I learned that the, the company as big as AWA was, that the DAC can go out of business. You know, it was shocking in the 90s, you know, like in 1990 to be exact. Anyhow, if anybody has a question on, on Twitter, at Fumihikodayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihikodayo, or just Fumisaito on Facebook. Please message me first. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. All right, that's it for this week. Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Write that. Write that down, Fumisaito. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.